So in a rainforest near a place called Auckland, New Zealand, there's this leafless cori tree stump, and it rises a few feet off the ground. So these trees, if you were to walk there, they can become giants. The country's largest that they know of, known as the Lord of the Forest, not a rad name, the Lord of the Forest, has grown 168 feet high with a 115-foot canopy. So these trees can get really, really big and beautiful, but this stump is just a stump. And so one day, two ecologists from Auckland University of Technology, they spotted it on the hike, on a hike. They're out in the woods. And I got a quote. The guy says, a normal person would just think it's dead, said Sebastian Lusinger. It looks dead to a point, but if you look just a bit closer, you can see living tissue. We both said to each other, it's clearly not dead, but how does it live? We're going to answer that in a little bit, but is anyone here a tree climber or a, a past tree climber? I love climbing trees, and not as much as I did when I was a kid, but, but if you're a tree climber, then you'll know that the opposite can be true too, right? I, I lost count of all the trees that I fell out of because it looked alive, and I was like, woohoo, that looks like a fun tree to climb, until I climbed up it and discovered that it couldn't hold my weight because it was actually, it was rotten in the middle and dead, and so I came tumbling out. We're, we're continuing our series uh, on the seven letters of the churches in Revelation, and, and we've reached the church in Sardis, and we're going to read that they were a church uh, who exemplified looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. So this is the, the sixth letter at the beginning of the book of Revelation. So we have this one and then next week before we're through. So Sardis, it was about 40 kilometers south of Thyatira and its location was prime territory for trade and it was really commercially successful primarily in uh, synthetic cloths and, and those sorts of things, uh, garment uh, industry. It was also a militarily strategic city uh, throughout its history. They were, they were known for their Acropolis. It was the great part, like a citadel that went above the city. And the, so when invaders would come, they would go and, and be able to hide from it. So they had that strong part of their skyline. They also had their own temple of Artemis. So if you remember when we talked about the church at Ephesus, that was one of their big things. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, Sardis had their own. It was still under construction and it was actually going to be just as big, equal in size, once completed. And finally, they had something called the necropolis. The necropolis, or a cemetery of a thousand hills. And it received this nickname because of the hundreds of burial mounds that you could see from miles and miles away as you were looking at that. So Sardis was, was certainly known for life. It, it had thrived, but it was also known for death. As I said, they had a significant fabric and clothing industry, and this helped accumulate their wealth. And even though they stayed wealthy long after this letter was written, they had already begun to decay from the inside. 
One commentator writes that no city of Asia at that time showed such a melancholy contrast between past splendor and present decay as Sardis. They had been living high on the hog for so long that they were failing morally. They were on cruise control as a city. The same commentary writes that Sardis was a city of peace, just not the peace won through battle, but the peace of the man whose dreams are dead and whose mind is asleep. The peace of lethargy and evasion. So on that cheerful note, I'm going to read to the letter of church in Sardis. This is in chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. It'll also be up on the on the screen. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Just like the trees. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his or her name out of the book of life. I will confess his or her name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's what I want us to be thinking about this evening. Account your blessings. Account your blessings. Now, I I know that that sentence might trip a few alarms and might type or, or trip typo alarms. Isn't it count your blessings? No, it's account. It says up there, account. Your ble- it might trigger grammar alarms. Like that doesn't seem like a, the right way of using that word. You'll see. Or it could just trip your, your cheese alarm because of the, the count your blessings part. Yeah, cheese alarm, it's going off. So I, you need to bear with me. Because I think this much is clear from this letter. So this is, these are Jesus' words that he's giving through John, his writing. And Jesus wants his church to be accounting individually and as a community the blessings of salvation and mission that they've been given. Things that are coming in. There's an income of blessing. But he also has expectations for an expense column too in that ledger. The church needs to have output to match its input. Give what we receive. He wants us to account for our blessings. So let's go back through this passage and we're gonna see. So again, he starts off as he's, if you've been following us through the series or familiar with the book, he starts off uh, in the same way that he's done uh, to every church, addressing it to the angel of the church in Sardis, the words of him who have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So this particular Seven spirits and seven stars. If this sounds a little like the opening to the church in Ephesus, you have a good memory or have just kind of popped back to chapter two because they were very similar because Jesus has the same sort of idea in the mind because these churches were similar in many ways. 
He wants to get across the idea that he is Lord and he is head of the church and and that he walks among them. He's not just looking over their shoulder, but he's rubbing shoulders with them and with us. And he says, I know your works. I'm here. I can see. I know your works. You have the reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Anybody remember the, the movie Weekend at Bernie's? <clears throat> Does anybody recall that movie? It's a goofy movie from the 80s. <laughs> you have no idea about that movie, Weekend at Bernie's. I don't recommend it. By the way, this isn't a recommendation for Weekend at Bernie's. But essentially, the premise is this. There are these two young in, uh, insurance executives, if memory serves. I, last time I saw it, I was like, I think, nine. And uh, I know. And uh, they, they discover that the company that they're working for, there's this embezzling going on. And so they, they go to their boss all excited, and they say, Bernie, their boss, there's been embezzling going on. And Bernie's like, oh, okay, well, thanks for letting me know. I, I want to reward you, so I'm having this party out at my beach house this weekend. You need to come on out and have some fun, and that's going to be your reward for, for this. And they said, okay, so they go and they go off. Little did they know, though, it was actually Bernie that was doing the embezzling. And so they show up at, at the party, and they discover that, that Bernie's already dead. And so they, they don't know what's happened. They, they don't want to get blamed for it. So they figure their best way of doing that is to pretend that Bernie's actually still alive. Genius, right? And so the rest of the movie, the movie is just sort of this shenanigans and tomfoolery as they're going around pretending that Bernie's alive, carting him around while trying not to get killed at the same time. It's pretty amazing. The church in Sardis is in many ways Bernie. Things seem good, right? Everyone's at the beach. Hey, church at Sardis. And there's like one or two people kind of lifting up the church's arm going, hey, everybody, you know, here, over here. I'm de- Everything's good. But they're not good, right? It's, Bernie, it's not good. It wasn't good with Bernie, not good with... Church in Sardis. See, death, it was something that was really preoccupied the minds of the Sardinians, the people as a whole. It, it, it was invading their culture in, in a sense that they, they uh, were trying to avoid thinking about it, I guess you could say. So weirdly, for this church and for this culture, persecution was very limited. This is the only church that, that didn't really ex- experience any kind of persecution. People weren't offended by the church at Sardis. And this could be a good thing if they're just not being offensive in the way they do things, see picketing things and, and all that stuff. But, but Jesus is going to offend somebody. It's part of, part of his message. The church can't please every person, nor should they try. The church's job is to please one person. Well, three persons in one, but we won't, we won't get into that one right now. The surrounding community seemed fine with them, though. They seemed fine with the church as a whole. And in this culture, that wasn't a good thing as far as their witness was concerned. Because in Rome, if if no one was worried about you, then you weren't doing your job. You weren't preaching Christ. See, the interesting slash scary thing is that we here at Central, we have a reputation for being alive. But are we? 
See, the Sardinians had a pulse. They were physically, the people were physically alive. But that doesn't seem to be what Jesus was talking about. As the, the band Anne Berlin puts it, there's more to living than just being alive. And this may be controversial, but this is something that I've noticed that is problematic in the harm reduction uh, movement in any sphere that they go into. Since when is staying alive or just merely surviving the ultimate goal in life? Think about that for a second. Are we cave folks who are just trying to get from one day to the next day, hoping that some animal or starvation or disease or whatever doesn't get us? Are we just kind of fingers crossed and hoping and that's our day? No, right? No, it's, it, that's, that's not our day. We're human beings. We're created in the image of God with purpose and value beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And part of that is living a life as best we, as best we can to know and then show Jesus. Why? It's for his glory. And so other people can come to know God's grace. But if I'm just hanging around, mostly dead, but with the ability to do something about it, and then I'm not doing something about it. Listen, I, I've lived the life. When I was, you know, hooked on crack and eating out of dumpsters, I've lived the I'm just existing life. There, there's not a lot of fulfillment in that. It did no good for anybody involved. God created me for more as he created every other person for more. But isn't this text, isn't talking about the church at Sardis as in the whole community? Well, it it sure is. And as we've seen in verse four, and we're gonna get there again, the individuals in the church, they represent the strength of the church. And we're gonna dig deeper in that in a second. But Jesus has a warning right now in verse two. He says, wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So what Jesus is saying is there's still signs of life and that he's not given up on the church. He's not given up. Jesus, so this means then wherever we are at, in our church, Jesus is for us. Every obstacle that we encounter, we have Jesus walking ahead of us and showing us how to get over it or around it or through it. Jesus is right there with us. And there's this communal call here as he's reaching out. As a group, Sardis is supposed to wake up, to, to come into consciousness. And as a group, they're supposed to lift one another up and to help each other out. But that's not happening if they don't account their blessings, is it? If they're not checking themselves. In one of his letters to the church in Corinth, this is how Paul uh, puts it in one of the other writers for the New Testament. He writes, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, he writes. Has anyone ever heard of being skinny fat? Have you guys ever heard of that? Do you know that that's a thing? Skinny fat? It means that although someone may look fit, right? You know, in our culture, basically, the smaller you are, the people think the fitter you are, right? 
but it's, it's just not true. There's something called skinny fat where there's something called subcutaneous fat. You guys wanted your biology lesson for the evening and now you got it. Subcutaneous fat that can be there and, and you can't even tell. So a person might be doing the work or genetics might be doing the work of a person remaining smaller, but nevertheless, things are building up on the inside. There's work to be done to be healthier. Remember, looks can be deceiving. So the word strengthen that Jesus is using here, this is really key. The, the Greek word behind it uh, means to make more firm or to establish in place or to decide firmly. So what he's doing, he's talking foundation here. And this is what an alive church needs to do. So that's the what, but how about the how? Verse three, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. And then he, and then he says what will happen if they don't, that, that he will come. So he's saying, remember, Church of Sardis, remember what you've received, remember what you've been given, and then repent of what you're doing now. Remember, receive, repent, or receive, remember, repent. But essentially what he's saying is account your blessings. So we need to assume that we, every one of us, if we, if we claim to be a follower of Jesus, we're going to get pulled off course sometimes. My, my car pulls, I was trying to remember, I can't, it's either to the left or right a little bit. And so it, it takes me off and I, and I have to course correct as I drive down the road. But I ha, if I don't pay attention, I'm going to go straight off. I have to adjust accordingly. This is the same in our spiritual life. See, Jesus is talking about intentionally taking time for introspection, to look in and see what the state of our souls is. He's saying that this is necessary for everybody to do. And this, this goes for whether you believe in Jesus or not, or, or, think, or, or are a part of his church or aren't a part of his church. We all need to, to look at our souls and to see what we are all about. We need to account our blessings. And we already referred to Paul's verse, but it's just as appropriate here. Examine ourselves. The, the action needed here is huge, and it goes way beyond just hearing something. So he, he's saying, yes, hear, but you need to keep it. There needs to, it needs to go beyond that. We need to hear the truth and the power of the gospel. We need to be reminded of it. This is food for our souls, but we can't just sit on it forever. One of the verses I, I say to myself in my morning routine is James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. See, one of the things that, that's really great about Central uh, being a part of this church is that we prioritize the teaching of God's word to us through the scriptures. This is a priority. God speaks to us through it, but we also hear from God in, in other ways, through faithful people, uh, through nature, through prayer. These are different ways that God speaks to us. So God's word is more than the Bible. So we can't avoid it. We can't say, oh, you know, I just haven't read my Bible this week. So kind of off the hook for anything that God is trying to communicate to me. We are constantly inundated with God speaking to us through all kinds of things. But we can still tune it out or we can just consume it ad infinitum. But, but James, the brother of Jesus, says we need to take what we hear, we need to keep it, and we need to actually do it. And he's just, all he's doing is reiterating what Jesus said time and time again. See, we talked about last week, we were talking about relationships and building bridges. 
And if we're wanting to, to help convey the message of the gospel, the hope that's in the gospel to people, it's good to be able to build relational bridges to do that. But eventually you've got to drive something over that bridge. You have to con- actually convey the message of the gospel. See, we get to study and learn from God and his word in uh, the world around us so that we can follow Jesus well. This helps us to be able to do that. But eventually following Jesus where he's leading us is a good idea. The output of what comes in is really good for our soul. It's food for our soul. See, a car is no good as a car if we keep it in the garage. A disciple of Jesus is no good as a disciple if he or she doesn't engage with the people around them, showing them Jesus. So we know Jesus and then we show Jesus. And if we don't, otherwise, Jesus is going to act, as he says here in in letters to the churches. And remember, when he says, I'm going to come, he's not talking about end times. This isn't uh, way in the future. Jesus can and will protect his church at any time. It's It's his fierce loyalty that motivates him to protect his church. He loves the church at Sardis that much. He loves the church at Philadelphia and Smyrna and Laodicea and Ephesus and Lake Arak. He loves the church that much. He does have grace for days, but eventually will act and says it will come like a thief in the night. You guys know when the thief comes? When you least expect it and at night. Or sometimes during the day, because no one expects it during the day, because you're waiting at night. But this is, meant, this is meant to convey importance, right? Like, this is, this is how important this is. This is meant to light a fire under butts. But all was not lost at Sardis, verse 4. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. See, this is one of the best parts about being part of a community, being part of a church community, is, uh, and it not having to be every person for themselves. If you're here tonight and you think that your spiritual life, your life at all, is just you against the world, you're, you're wrong if you have a church community. We're, all, we're supposed to be all in this together if we're doing church right. And Jesus, he acknowledges, yes, that individuals have to take responsibility for their sin. That's true. Yet, the faithfulness of a few in Sardis are keeping the church community on life support. The faithfulness of a few is keeping this church going with signs of life. But the commendation here, it also really turns up the seriousness of not following in step. Because because Sardis was known for its clothing industry. We've mentioned that. And the entire society would know that soiled clothes don't make proper attire to come before the gods. If you were going to go to the temple and make some sort of sacrifice or do that, you would not show up in soiled clothes. In fact, you would most likely, if you were going around doing that, you would get your name pulled out of citizenship. It was a big deal. So what Jesus is doing is he's speaking local with them. He knows exactly that this is, they would know what he's talking about. And he's saying, look, these folks, these few, have remembered what they received, they've kept it, and most likely are repenting on the regular. Because a person who's closely following Jesus knows that because we mess up a lot, we need to repent. Jesus knows we're going to mess up. So he just calls for repentance. 
And that's where the grace is. And he says their reward is getting to walk with Jesus forever. That walking with Jesus is the symbolic of relationship, eternal salvation with him. Just an awesome picture. Can you imagine a day like today? Walking with Jesus. He fleshes it out a little bit more. Verse five, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, right? White is that symbolic color. Remember when we started it, we started this series, the different colors provide for different symbols, but in the Bible, white is typically the symbol for, for purity. Cover them in white garments. And he says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. This is salvation. This is security. Confess his name before my father and before his angels. Listen up. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, as we've been going through this, or if you've read Revelation, you've probably noticed that as we go through these letters, to the one who conquers is common. So there's this expectation that the follower of Jesus know that they're going to be following him through foxholes and through open fights. Things can get ugly when we're following Jesus. Through joyous times, yes. There's going to be lots of joy, but also through incredibly challenging moments. And he expects us to overcome. But Jesus, you don't know what it's like to be me, right? You don't know what it's like to have a life like mine. I say sometimes, right? When, I, when I'm shaking my fist at the sky and a little bit upset with the way the dice has been rolled. Jesus, you possibly couldn't understand Hebrews 4.15, though, reads, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus has been there. He's done that. And he has the t-shirt. There's nothing that ever could happen that Jesus can't identify with, yet has done it well. And he's calling us, strengthening us to be able to walk through that with him. He knows our struggles, he knows our pain, and he cares about us. See, God loved us so much that he sent his son, a son who promised to never, ever leave us, implying that whatever we go through, he is right there with us. We just need to walk in that. We need to be confident in that. And if we do, we get to walk with him straight through into eternity. So how in the world do I follow Jesus like that? It's frustrating sometimes, I don't know. If you're like me, but I, I, I fall victim of comparing my spiritual life with other people's spiritual life. And, and sometimes I see these amazing stories of faith and I'm like, wow, man, I wish I had faith like that. Or why don't I have faith like that? I'm going to give us two things that every follower of Jesus, as far as I'm concerned, wants to be doing because of the outcome. Feel free to come and debate these with me afterwards. But I, I am sure that if we take these things seriously, both as individuals and as a community, then our lives in Jesus will be thriving. The first thing is we can account our blessings through spiritual disciplines. For those of you who don't know what they are, they're things like fasting, silence and solitude, prayer, scripture reading, serving, things like that. Things a lot of us do regularly already. 
Uh, there's a, a guy, a writer named Mike Cosper, and he writes, to experience the richness of life in God's kingdom, we must reorder our lives because it's his kingdom. So instead of ha- trying to fit him into our life, we need to fit us into his life. Does that make sense? We need to reorder our lives around him. We need to see through the shallow promises of our culture, and we need rhythms, signposts, and practices that reorient us to another world. So if you're, if you're feeling at all like your spiritual life is dying or in a rut, then I want to recommend his book to you. It's called Recapturing the Wonder by Mike Cosper, and he goes through a lot of this stuff. But I think, back to the spiritual disciplines, that every Christian should want to practice spiritual disciplines. Why? Because they help us connect to a God that we can't see. They help us relate to a God who has willingly sacrificed everything for us. They help us commune with God in ways that build us up, that help us strengthen our relationships. There's a couple books I can recommend. Called The first one is Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And the other is Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. If you're interested in these, you can come and talk to me uh, afterwards. The second thing that we as a community are going to be debuting later this month is life groups. Life groups. See, life groups are not new to Central Community Church. They're community groups. Um, what other names do people call them? That's enough. You guys, what's that? Care groups. Yeah, exactly. Same sort of thing. We at Central, we call them life groups. These aren't new to Central, but the way that we're going to be doing them here is uh, new to Central, at least in, in form. We're going to be structuring them in such a way that we're going to be intentionally building rhythms into our months that help us account our blessings. So if the signs of a dying church, as we read through these letters, the signs of a dying church are lack of witness. This is essentially what's going on in Sardis. It's what was going on in Ephesus. But then there's places like uh, Philadelphia that has their doctrine is starting to crumble from the inside. They're, they're not paying attention to the truth that's been given them. So a dying church is weak in witness, they're weak in truth, or they're uh, the way that they're, uh, the, the things that they believe. Or a dying church is just a church that's hanging on to the past, hanging on to past glory, something they've done in the past. If these are signs of a dying church, then we will intentionally make sure that that's not us. I have a, there's a sheet. I was going to bring it up so I could hold it up. It doesn't really matter. But I have a bunch of them in the back that's going to explain the vision. There, Sarah's holding them up. You can look at the piece of paper that you can't read from across the room. It is a piece of paper. But the essence of it is that those who want to be a part of these groups are going to meet weekly, and the goals are going to be, at the the top, spiritual maturity. So becoming more like Jesus. It's going to be impacting our community and having some fun together as we celebrate the amazing things that God is doing, has done, and will do in the future. We're going to follow a weekly format that's intentionally laid out, yet allows for some flexibility and creativity within the group. There will be uh, two groups at the beginning. There's going to be one group meeting uh, at my place, Sarah and I's, house out here in DeRoche, and there's going to be another group meeting at the Harrisons out in uh, Agassiz. 
So yeah, I, I'm really, really excited about this. I, I love these groups. And I think that they're so important because I, I think that this is the, the place where the rubber hits the road. It's a place where we can take all of the things that we're, we're learned during the services and through the weeks and, and all of our experiences and come together in a smaller group, grow together in Jesus to build one another up, to celebrate the things that God's doing in our lives, to, to mourn with one another when things go sideways, to pick each other up, and then also to, to be reaching our community. Not just this community here, right? Like this is, Jesus says they're going to know our love for him, that we're his disciples by the way we love one another in this community. But we want to be reaching out and we want to be impacting the world with the good of the gospel. It's everything that we're all about. And I think life groups are going to be an engine that's going to help drive that. So come talk to me afterwards if you have questions. I'm going to close with one last Mike Cosper quote, uh, because I think sometimes when we do messages like these, it can feel like, like I, I get excited, I get pumped up, but sometimes, it, depending on our personality type, this could feel heavy. It can feel like, oh, this is just more get busy for Jesus. And Jesus says that his yoke is supposed to be light. And so we, we, we want to have perspective, Right? We, we want to look at messages like these as not being piled on one more thing to do, but these are things that we get to do. This is the beauty of the gospel. So anyway, he says, Mike Cosper, grace is easy, life is hard. So follow Jesus if you must, seek the face of God if you must, but don't be surprised if, after a while, it feels like you've been battling angels in the darkness. Seeking God's face in a fallen world is not the easy life. It's the good life. And a good life is always a life of worthwhile stories and worthwhile struggles. Do you remember that bump? Sorry, stump. I don't know why I keep saying bump. Oh, man, that stump from the beginning. So scientists figured out what that they, like this stump and other stumps, there have been ones found in BC and, and all over the world, that others like them survive because they receive nourishment from other trees. Their roots, they, they fuse together and they receive water and nourishment through them and it helps them live. So no matter how beaten down they may look, they're still thriving. They move forward. See, God strengthens us, and in turn, we get to strengthen one another. So let's choose life for our community each and every day. Let's lift one another up and, and fight the good fight together. Let's celebrate God's goodness together. Let's account our blessings and walk with Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, wow. It's... Amazing that through the challenges that you lay to a church 2,000 years ago, that we can learn so much about you and your love for us, your church. Father, we want to be a church that knows you and shows you in all that we do. Father, we're going to need your grace. I'm going to need your grace. Mess up a lot. We know that you're faithful. We know that you're constantly here with us. You're coaching us. You're walking alongside us. Our shoulders are rubbing. 
as we seek to impact this world for your glory, to show people the amazing grace that is life in you, that your sacrifice provides, but that you didn't just sacrifice and go. You sacrificed and made sure that we would have access to you, to the Father, through your Spirit at all times. And so, Father, it's that power that we need as we seek to grow together as a community, grow closer to you, and to also be able to impact the community around us. So as we embark on this ever-changing season, as we're still this, um, still in, in, in many ways in infancy, we depend on you to show us the way. We pray this in your name. Amen.